Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Thanks for braving the rain and getting here uh, in spite of it. It's great to see you. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John's Gospel, chapter 6. Uh, some of you may be using devices. That's great. Uh, follow along. We're going to be in John chapter 6. I'd like to encourage you this week, actually, uh, to read the whole chapter. It's quite lengthy. There's, there's lots of verses, lots going on. Uh, so I want to encourage you to read. But today we're going to be sort of jumping around in John 6 and looking at a number of passages uh, that are found in there. Let me set it up, and then we're going to read a portion of chapter 6. The setup is this. Uh, in John 6... Jesus is preaching to large crowds. They're, they've gathered from all over in the countryside, so they're away from the towns. They're in the hillside. And, and Jesus is preaching, and he's doing miracles, doing all this stuff, and the crowds get larger and larger, and essentially the people are, are hungry. And Jesus has compassion on the people for they have no bread to eat. And he, he turns to his disciples and says, where are we going to buy bread for all these people, knowing full well he's about to do a miracle. And as the text goes on, you can read about it at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, they bring a little boy's lunch, and there are five loaves and two fishes, or fish, fishes, uh, anybody know, I don't know, doesn't matter, five loaves, two fish, and, uh, and they bring this lunch to Jesus, and Jesus thanks God for the food, which we're going to talk about later, it's really interesting, and then um, he starts handing out the food, and everyone's sitting in groups, and the food starts passing around, and uh, of course, he multiplies the bread and the fish, and as they take more and more appears, and essentially uh, over 5,000 men plus women plus children are all fed miraculously from this little boy's lunch. And Jesus says, get some baskets, and I want you to bring in all the leftovers, all the bread that's left over, pieces and chunks. And they filled 12 baskets full of leftovers. Of course, the crowd is blown away by this crazy miracle. And what happens is the next day, the crowds are all looking for Jesus again. For obvious reasons, um, they're hungry and, and they're trying to find Jesus because they want him to sort of recreate the, the miracle again. They thought that was, that was pretty cool. And that's really where we pick it up. They're coming to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, <clears throat> let's look at it. John 6, verse 30. They said to him, uh, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? You know, if, if you're from God, like you should do a miracle. You should do a sign. Um, what work do you perform? And then they make a suggestion. They don't let Jesus uh, answer. They, they said, our fathers ate manna, which is the bread that God gave the nation of Israel in the wilderness. So they're like, hey, God, God did this through Moses. Like, maybe you could, how about some bread, Jesus? You really see they're all about the bread. Uh, in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're quoting the Old Testament scriptures. And they're like, hey, how about some, some bread, Jesus? He goes on. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. This, this bread that was provided was not from Moses. It was actually from God. And he says, but my father gives you the true bread. So Jesus says there's a bread that is better than the bread the Israelites got in the wilderness. There's a bread better than the bread you ate yesterday. And he goes on to say, for the bread of God is he. I don't think they even heard him say this. <laughs> who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's like, bread is a person. Weird. And, and they just kind of, and they say to him, they said, okay, Jesus, give us this bread always. That sounds amazing. Better bread. We want that bread. They kind of missed the whole thing about bread being a person. And then Jesus said to them, this is probably where they would have clued in. I am the bread of life. Jesus is like, I am bread. <laughs> We're going to get into this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As you might've guessed, our subject for this morning is the subject of bread title of my message is, is Fresh Bread. Who doesn't love fresh bread? I know there are some bread people. Uh, bread people eat any bread. It can be stale, sitting on the counter. It's like bread, and they just eat it. 
They eat rye bread. They eat pumpernickel bread. They eat seedy bread. You know, they eat any kind of bread. They'll just eat it, right? Uh, but I, I'm not a bread guy, but I'll tell you, when there's fresh bread around, it stirs in me an appetite. When I smell fresh bread coming out of the bread maker, it's just, oh, it just it instantly makes me hungry. I think this is why when you go to restaurants and you order your food, they often bring you what? Bread. It just stirs up the appetite. It gets things going. Maybe they want you to eat a bunch of bread so you don't eat so much meat. I don't know. Uh, but they bring you garlic loaf or they bring you fresh rolls and butter and you, you, you get to sort of eat uh, the bread. Bread is in- incredible. And what I love about this is that Jesus is actually using the analogy of bread, something that we can all understand, to describe something about God. He's going to, this, in this imagery of bread, we're going to learn something spiritually true about God and about Jesus. And that's cool because Jesus, he uses things we can all understand. We all can understand what fresh bread is like. We all understand the incredible uh, nature of bread. And Jesus is going to use that to teach us something. But first, uh, this week I was uh, studying the scriptures, obviously in preparation for my message. And I decided to read every passage in the Bible where bread is mentioned. There's over 360 passages. So you can see I bit off more than I could chew. Uh, Yeah. There's, there's more where that came from. Um, hey, what did, the, uh, what did the loaf of bread say to his girlfriend when he broke up with her? You deserve butter. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Uh, anyways, so obviously I was reading all these passages about bread, and there's all this symbolism in the Bible. We're going to talk about some of it. But then, but then uh, there was all these facts about bread that I didn't know. So I thought I'd share a few with you since I did the research, and it's kind of fun. Uh, the first is this, that the average American couldn't find Canadian stats. Big surprise. The average American eats 53 pounds of bread a year. Yeah, especially because bread is so light. That's, that's pretty impressive. You can imagine what, how big that pile would be. Um, that's what we do. Congrats, guys. Um, did you know that it wasn't until 1928 that bread was sold pre-sliced? That's less than 100 years. I mean, people had to live like cavemen, cutting their own bread. <laughs> Slicing it. In 1920, they came out with pre-sliced bread. People thought it was amazing. And they actually said, it's the best thing since bagged bread. <laughs> That's what they said. <laughs> For real, right? And, uh, and so, so they had this, this sliced bread. That's pretty cool. In World War II, uh, there were actually rationing laws against selling fresh bread. They weren't allowed to sell fresh bread. You could only sell it stale. You say, why? Well, because food was in short supply. And they assumed that if they were selling it fresh people would eat more of it. Amen. <laughs> right? There's a stale loaf on the counter. I'm like, eh, if I'm really hungry. But when it's fresh, you eat and eat and eat. Um, interesting, I found out something that I didn't know. For 20-something years, my wife and I have been arguing about where the bread should go when you're not using it. So if we're going to go away for a couple of days, I see a, a new loaf of bread sitting on the counter, I think it should go in the fridge so that the cold in the fridge will keep it fresh longer. That's my logic. I thought it was perfect. We argued about it for 20 years. As I was studying bread, I found out that bread goes stale six times faster in the fridge than at room temperature. Who knew? So I literally, I went to the other office where my wife was working. I said, Jess, I got to tell you something. And I told her, and she literally made me say the words, you were right. She made me say it. So if you didn't know, keep your bread on the counter, not in the fridge. Um, Here's the last fact, which I think is really interesting. Bread has been around historically for eight to 10,000 years which is essentially as long as we have written human history. 
Like in the ancient civilizations, they mentioned bread. Bread was used. Bread is just everywhere, which is, again, one of the incredible reasons why Jesus and the Bible use this bread analogy as something that people can understand in every culture, in every generation of human history. Bread just works, which is cool. So we're going to talk about uh, bread today. I'm always interested to figure out where the first time a word is used in the Bible. I just, I find it interesting. And so I, again, I, in my search through the scriptures, I, I came across the very first time it's used, and it's found in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, Adam and Eve are in this garden that God had made for them. They have fruit trees everywhere. It's like free food, just hanging, just growing on trees. They just, oh, have something, have some of this, have some of that. They're told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. And they sin, and they eat of the tree. They don't trust God and his word. And essentially what happens is they bring a curse into the world. And so God is, is uh, uh, um, giving the curse. He's saying, you're going to die. You're going to live outside the garden. They're cast out. And here's this little excerpt right in the, in the middle of the curse in Genesis 3. God says, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. Speaking about the ground. The ground is going to produce... Um, it's going to produce thorns and thistles that are going to work against you as you try to grow your food, essentially. He says, you're going to eat the herb of the field. You're not going to just take all this food that I, that I give to you freely. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to turn over the soil in the spring and plant the seed and make sure it gets water, keep the pests away so that you can harvest the food, grind the food, cook the food. It's a lot of work. And that's why he says in the next part of the passage, he says, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. So this is a setup for the rest of the Bible. God literally says, because you've sinned, you're cast out, they're separated from God, and you're going to have to work hard by the sweat of your face in order to feed yourself and to feed your family. And not only that, but that food that you, you work so hard to grow and feed yourself, it will only sustain you for a little while, and eventually your body will break down and die, and you'll go back to the ground. That's the setup. So essentially... Bread and food is helpful, but it's not ultimate. And we need something else. We need a savior. We need someone to give us a different kind of bread, a bread that will give us eternal life. And honestly, most of human history has been this way. Let me, let me break this down for just a sec. Uh, throughout human history, people have struggled to eat. Now, I'm guessing most people listening to me today in this room, you're doing okay. You have food in the fridge, and you have the resources to at least buy bread. But for many people throughout the millennium past, they literally spent a majority of their time and energy just trying to get enough food to survive for them and their families. That's true. And it's amazing because we live in this incredible time, really, in the last 50 to 100 years when, thanks to technology, thanks to tractors, large farms, fertilizer, pesticide, refrigeration, transportation, all of these incredible technologies have allowed us to have more food than we need. And there are still places in the world where that isn't the case, where people literally struggle to survive each and every day. Now we get to deal with, here in Canada, first world problems, okay? See, because food is so cheap and accessible for us, and you're like, yeah, but it's inflation. I know. By comparison with the rest of the world, it is cheap and it is accessible. And because of that, we can send our kids to school and not to the field. Because of that, hopefully on Saturday, you can kick your feet up and relax and have a meal with friends instead of being out tending you know, acres of farmland just to feed your family. So it's incredible. And now we just have to sort of worry about first world problems, like not having enough room in the fridge for the pizza box. It is annoying, like trying to jam it in there. Like there's too much food in here. Anyways, the Hebrew word for bread. Let's take a look at the Hebrew word for bread is the word lechem. 
lechem. That's the Hebrew word for bread. Now, what's interesting is this Hebrew word is translated into English as bread, but it can also mean food. And the reason why bread and food are the same thing in the Hebrew language is because uh, they were a people who lived off the land. They farmed, they grew grains, lots of grains in Israel. And in fact, I was doing some research, and apparently 60 to 70% of the daily calories of the ancient Israelites was from bread. Every time they ate a meal, bread was the mainstay. The little bits of meat, little bits of dairy, little bits of other things, but it was primarily, primarily bread. And here's what's interesting. In ancient times, <clears throat> they didn't have refrigeration. And so if you wanted to have food for the year, you would take in your harvest at harvest time, and you would keep the grain in whole grain form. Right? The stalks of grain and, and, and the, the, the grain heads in, in contact. So what would happen is it could last over a year in that form. But then you took the grain, and so this is what would happen. Um, Jewish women would wake up early in the morning, and they would take grain, and they would take like volcanic stone, and they would begin to grind the grain into flour. And this would take hours to make enough fresh flour. And then they would add oil, heat up the oven, cook the bread on the ovens. And this would take three to four hours every day. And it had to be done every day or there was no bread. Like, it didn't exist in a bag or sliced form. You couldn't get it at the corner store. You had to make it fresh every day. Which is why uh, when Jesus is with his disciples and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he inserts this into his prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We read that and we're like, daily bread, cool. Yeah, I guess we need bread every day. Like when the disciples heard this, they would have probably pictured their moms working hard each and every day just so their family could survive. And Jesus is like, hey, I want you to pray in this way that you would recognize that it is God who provides your needs each and every single day. So today, as we talk about bread in the Bible, I'm going to share with you sort of three different ways, three things that that bread represents. And as we've already read, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so we know at the outset that these three things that bread represents in the Bible actually also represent Jesus and what he does for us. And so let's look at the first one. Bread represents God's provision. So in scripture, you see when it talks about bread, often it's talking about how God has provided food for people. He sustains us with what uh, he gives us in this life. I don't know if you know this. I think you do. You need food to survive. Like, without it, you die. You need nutrients, calories, vitamins, all of that good stuff. And it comes through food. It comes through, again, bread represents food. Um, So God's provision. um, One of the texts that you'll see referenced in John chapter 6, if you read the entire chapter, is this idea of the nation of Israel, and God leads them out of Egyptian slavery and into a wilderness. Now, a wilderness is a place where there's little to no water, And you can't grow things. That's why it's a wilderness. That's why people don't choose to live in a wilderness. But there, the entire nation of Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness. And it's in that place that they begin to complain. They're like, we're hungry. We wish we were in Egypt. There was fishes and there was bread there. We wish we'd go back there. And they start to grumble and complain. God has compassion on them and gives them bread and gives them meat. And, of course, what happens is... um, They get up in the morning, and the first time, this must have been pretty freaky, because the dew kind of comes up, and there's this white flaky stuff on the ground. And they're looking at it, they're like, what is it? 
They're asking each other, what is it? And that's literally what manna means. The word manna means, what is it in Hebrew? It's like, what is that? Nobody knew. And, and Moses tells the people, he tells them to pick it up and to use it to bake bread. He goes on uh, to say this in Exodus chapter 16. Moses says to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Apparently it tasted like honey. So that's pretty nice. And they would gather and they would make cakes out of it. And they were able to live for 40 years off this. This is what the Lord has commanded. He goes on to say, gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. So, in the following verses, we're not going to read them all. Moses says, there's this amount that you can gather per person per day, no more. And that was enough for everyone to survive. And what's interesting is, like, if you saw food on the ground, so there's this bread, and you're hungry, you're living in the wilderness, what is your temptation going to be? Yeah, stop. Get a basket, get a bowl, fill it up. Moses says, no, only take what you need for this one day. And some people, of course, did not obey. They gathered, they hid it in their coat. They brought it in jars. They brought it to their tent. The next morning, it stunk. It was full of worms. It was, it was awful. And so what happened was each and every day, they had to gather fresh manna, and they were able to survive. But it was daily bread. And for 40 years, God did this with the people. He's trying to nail this, this truth down that you need to depend on me each and every day for your provision. Once again, when the Lord prays uh, the Lord's Prayer and he says, give us this day our daily bread, the Jewish disciples are thinking about what? They're thinking about Moses and how the people had to depend on God each and every day. And Jesus is like, that's the attitude that you and I have to have as we approach God. You know, we live in a, in a world today where uh, we have just-in-time groceries. Like, there are not enough groceries in the store for everyone if we all try to stock our shelves at once. It just doesn't. There's enough food there so that if most of us go into the store and we go, this is how much I need for this week, and I trust that there'll be more next week, we're all good. But the moment people start to panic... <laughs> How many of you remember the first few weeks of the pandemic? <laughs> yeah. I remember walking in and the toilet paper aisle was just barren and all the cans were gone. I'm like, what is going on? People began to be afraid that what we need won't be there next time we come. And so therefore, I must take as much as I can now. Um, that's fear. And what, I've, what I was saying throughout the pandemic, because there was all kinds of variables and things happening, was let's not be motivated by fear. Let's not be, as Christians, the one thing we shouldn't be motivated by is fear. We trust God. We take precautions. We follow, you know, the guidelines and all those kinds of things. We're working inside it and we're not all going to disagree. But the point is that fear is not the thing. It takes faith in God. And so the people had to trust that God was going to take care of them each and every day. A couple of quick things. Our physical food comes from God. Now, in John chapter 6, um, Jesus like, how are we going to feed all these people? And they bring a little boy's lunch. So how did the food come to the people? You say, well, it was actually because of the boy's, it was because of the boy's uh, lunch. Yeah, you can take that down for just a sec. Um, it was because of the boy's food. But in, in essence, what the scriptures teach is that everything comes from God. And so if we have bread, even if we bought it at the grocery store, it grew out of the ground because God created seeds to grow. And it grew because the sun that God caused to shine grows it. So all of it comes from him. Even if there's an intermediary source. And so the physical food that, that Jesus received, here's what it says he did. It says he took the loaves and he had given thanks. He literally takes the bread that came from the boy and thanks God for giving it to him. You see, God is, Jesus is actually acknowledging that this comes from God and he distributed it to those who were seated. So I know uh, when I was a kid growing up, we always used to pray for our food each meal. 
We still do that. And um, again, the idea behind that is to give thanks, is to say, God, I recognize that this food that I have just received comes from you. If somebody showed up at your door with a meal, what would you say? Thank you. <laughs> because I don't do not send a meal to these guys. I mean, they're like, we don't know what to say. You say thank you. It's appropriate when we, when we spread our plate out in front of us and we have all these good things to say, God, thank you for providing these things. That's right. When I was a kid, it was somehow, I don't know if some weird doctrine started to get taught in the church. I can't recall. But it was the idea of like, you got to pray for your food, that God would kill all the germs or you get food poison. It was kind of like that kind of thing. Like, uh, that was weird. I don't know what that was all about. Um, I still have a little bit of that. I mean, this week we were at Dairy Queen with the kids. We didn't have a lot of time, so we sat down with the kids and we ordered this food and we had all these trays, you know, paper and plastic cups and everything. And Jess was like, Nathan, would you pray for the food? And I was like, God, if you can do something with this to make it healthy and helpful to her. I'm looking at this paper-wrapped burger. I don't know. I was just like, God, I, I know you created everything, but this will be a tough challenge for you. Um, we say thank you. We say thank you to God for giving us the things that we need. We, we recognize that our physical food comes from God. But secondarily, we also under, need to understand that our, our spiritual food comes from God. Bread is a food source that sustains our bodies, but there is another kind of food, another kind of bread that sustains our spirit, our soul, through which we receive eternal life. That it is another kind of food, a spiritual food, and that also comes from him. John 6, again, verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but, he says, my father gives the true bread. He's talking about a a different kind of bread that doesn't just satisfy your physical body and your hunger, but satisfies your soul. For the bread of God is he who comes. Jesus is pointing to himself. It's me come down from heaven to give his life to the world. Okay? So Jesus is God's provision. He's our only hope for eternal life. He's our only hope for forgiveness. Secondarily, so bread represents God's provision. Secondarily, um, bread represents God's presence. And you may think, how does bread connect with God's presence? Let me, let me share with you a few thoughts from the Old Testament. Number one, uh, when the nation of Israel came into the wilderness, God gave Moses instructions to build a tabernacle, which was a tent. Kind of like we have curtain walls around. They had curtain walls. And inside there were three courts. And in the smallest inner court was where God's presence was. And then there was another one called the holy place. And only the priests went in there. And it was in that place that God's presence was there with the priest. And as you walked into the holy place, there would be a gold table. Kind of would look something like this, artist rendering. A gold-covered table with 12 loaves of bread. One loaf of flat bread for each of the tribes of Israel. And this bread was made fresh each week. And the priests would put it in there. And they made it with the finest ingredients. And here's what's cool. This bread could only be eaten by the priests and it could only be eaten in the holy place where God's presence was. There was no takeout. You couldn't be like, oh, grab one of these for the road. You ate it in there where God was and only the priests did it. And all of this symbolizes God's desire to be in relationship with his people, all his people, all 12 tribes. And the priests would eat it there in that place. This is all uh, symbolic. By the way, you'll remember that there were 12 baskets full of bread. Jesus is instituting something new, and all of this stuff connects, which is, which is really, really cool. And so, by the way, uh, this is called the table of showbread, and the 12 loaves of bread that would be put there each week were called the bread of the presence. And it indicated that God wanted to fellowship. 
you know food and fellowship go together? In the New Testament, it says the early church, they met in homes and they broke bread, which means they ate together and you eat with people you like. You eat with people to get to know them. I've often said this. If you go on a date with somebody, you eat with them. It's like the way to find out if they're the one, you know, <laughs> just watch the meat. But you, you eat together with people that you like when you have family gatherings. What do you do? You eat. But it's more than just eating together. It's more than just eating together and fellowshipping. In the Old Testament, um, people made covenants. We don't talk a lot about covenants these days. We talk a lot about contracts. Contract is you build my deck. I'll pay you $10,000. And if both of us, if I pay and you do the work, then we're both happy. And the contract's over. We move on. That's a contract. Perfectly good and useful tool. A covenant is something different. A covenant is two people entering into a binding lifelong relationship. So two tribes would enter into covenant. It's like, whatever happens to us, we'll defend you. And and what's ours is yours. Um, Marriage is intended to be a covenant. That's the biblical language. It's a covenant. So it's not like, hey, as long as you make me happy, I'll stick around. Marriage is till death do us part. I'm in this for life. You understand? That's marriage. That's covenant language. So whenever a covenant was made, whether it was between God and Abraham, whether it was between God and the, and the people of Israel in Exodus, whether it was between Jacob and his father-in-law Laban, there's all these examples in the Bible. They always had a covenant meal. So they broke bread together as a sign of the newfound union, which by the way is why when two people get married, there's always a wedding dinner. The dinner is, is this is, is this part of the covenant. It's like we're breaking bread together. And I guess the husband and wife don't like break bread. They sort of feed each other cake. But it's close, you know. You break bread. And, and there's this covenant meal, which always takes place, which is so interesting. And so this brings us all the way back to Jesus. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he knew what was coming. He was about to be arrested. He sat down with his disciples, 12 of them. And with his 12 disciples, he takes bread. I got, I got an image here. It's not historically accurate, but work with me. And he takes the bread and he breaks the bread. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Jesus is doing two things simultaneously. He's demonstrating the fact that his body is about to be broken for the sins of the world. His life was about to be ended so that we could have life. So that we could now have fellowship with God. We were separated. Only the priest could have bread with God. But now we would be able to because of his broken body. And he distributes the bread to his 12 disciples and they eat it together. So not only is he demonstrating all this, but he's entering into what he calls a new covenant. And all who believe in Christ enter into a covenant with him. His life becomes our life. His death to sin becomes our death. You understand? So we become connected with him through. This is why we share in the Lord's Supper each month. And you can do it more often than that, but that's why we do it. By the way. Most of the pictures of Jesus breaking bread, he's breaking like this big fluffy white loaf, which is historically not accurate because at the time that Jesus would have had the Passover, it was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so it would have been all flat matzah bread. But anyways, it doesn't matter. That's just an interesting fact. Um, The bread is broken. It's the bread of his presence. Jesus goes on uh, to say this in John 6, verse 35. He says to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread who's come into the world. Anybody know, this is not a trick question, because the first service totally messed it up. Anybody know um, where Jesus was born? Thank you. Perfect. Bethlehem. Uh, The word Bethlehem uh, comes from two Hebrew words. The first, first word is Beth, which means house. 
And the second part of the word is lechem. You already know what that means because I told you at the beginning of the message. Bread. So literally, Bethlehem is the house of bread. And this is the place where Jesus is specifically to be born. And there he comes into the world to give his life for us. He is not only God's provision, but he is God's presence. That's why when Jesus was born, they said his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. The bread of heaven come to uh, be with us. Cool stuff, right? How do you, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. Jesus goes on to say, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is like, I want you to trust in me. I want you to believe in me. I want you to look to me for the things that you need. The people came to Jesus. They're like, fill our stomachs. And Jesus is like, I want to fill your heart. Give us food to get rid of this temporary hunger. And Jesus is like, I want to give you salvation so that you can have eternal life with your father. Jesus came to be our provision and to be the presence of God among us. The third and final thing we'll talk about today, and I wish we had more time to touch on this, but bread represents God's word, his word. It's, it's very interesting. At the beginning of John's gospel, we're reading John 6. In John 1, as he opens up his account of Jesus' life, John gets really heady, and he starts talking about Jesus, and he's using terminology that's quite interesting. In John 1, 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word. So John is calling Jesus the Word. You're like, again, this is another symbol. It's a metaphor. He's like, he is the Word, and the Word was with God. He's trying to tell his, his, his readers, his listeners, that Jesus isn't just an angel coming down from God, but he actually was with God when God created everything. He was there at the very beginning with God, and he says the word was God. So if you try to wrap your mind around all this, he's like, Jesus is God, and Jesus was there when God spoke and the whole world came into existence. That was Jesus. That was, if you were here last Sunday, I actually talked about the voice. And some of you will remember, I talked about how when we make sounds, when we sing or when we talk, our lungs or our diaphragm force air through our vocal cords, which vibrate and send out basically waves of energy. I'm talking, there's no wind hitting you. It's energy that's going through the air and you're receiving that energy. So energy is created when someone speaks. And when God spoke and said, let there be light, an energy went out of him that created everything that is. So cool to wrap your mind around. And John is like, not only did God create Everything with a word. Jesus is that word. He's the one who spoke. And then he goes on to say this in verse 14. He's like, and the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's like, the same God who spoke the sun, the moon, and the stars into existence was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and has walked among us. This blows your mind to even try to comprehend the significance of this. And what's so fascinating about this is that Jesus, if he is the word and he is the one who spoke to the prophets and spoke to Moses through whom the scriptures were written, then when Jesus is here on the earth and he goes into a wilderness, not for 40 years, not for 40 years, but he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and there he's hungry and he's thirsty and Satan appears to tempt him. It's in Matthew 4. And Satan, you know what Satan does? He, he says, if you're really the son of God, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to doubt what God has said about him. Like, there's no new tricks. No new tricks at all. He's like, if you're really the son of God, turn that stone into bread. You know, stones start to look like bread when you haven't eaten in a while. Oh, it looks so good. 
And Jesus says, no. And you know what Jesus actually uses to ward off the temptation of the enemy? He uses the word of God. He uses the scriptures. And I love this because Jesus doesn't quote mathematics, doesn't quote psychology. He doesn't quote uh, Socrates, nothing like that. Jesus actually quotes the law and the prophets. He says that scripture is written. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy, by the way. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the logic. If God created everything that is with a word, his word is way more important than bread. It is the source of all things. So I'd rather have his word. And Jesus says, I'm going to trust in what God has said. And he quotes the law and he quotes the prophets over and over and over again. His word is bread. So not only does Jesus quote the scriptures over and over and over again, and Jesus isn't saying the Bible is a good book full of helpful things and, you know, full of moral values. No, no. Jesus is like, this is God's word to us. This isn't just a normal book. Jesus makes that claim, which is why I believe it. And he quotes the scripture. And he says, this is the word of God. It is scripture. But then he takes something a step further. In John 6, Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So not only do we have the scriptures that Jesus had, the law and the prophets, that's what we call the Old Testament. So we have all of that in which God reveals himself through history, through his covenants, through his relationship, through the law, all these things. There's all kinds of stuff there for us to learn. But we also have Jesus, the perfect fulfillment and representation of God who explains it all. And then the disciples who walked with Jesus and their epistles and letters. It's incredible how much we have at our disposal. When I was a kid, I, um, you know, we used to get these uh, missionaries to come through. When I was a little kid, it was really, it was before the Berlin Wall came down. And it was very difficult to get Bibles into the Eastern Bloc, into, um, you know, communist Russia, China, these places. And I remember missionaries coming and talking about how they risked their lives to get God's word, this book, into people's hands. People would die to get a copy of this. And today we have it everywhere. It's literally, it's on our phone. It's like a free app called YouVersion. And, and you can download it, and you can have the Bible in multiple translations and everything else. Unbelievable. The Word of God. And that is exactly what it is. It is fresh bread, the Word of God. So the bread that God gives is His provision, His presence, and His Word. And so we need fresh, we need fresh bread. So I thought to make it practical here as we kind of wrap things up, I wanted to give you three really simple things that you can do to get fresh bread. Because I don't know about you. How many of you have ever read the Bible? And you're like, I don't get it. <laughs> I have. I'll be honest. I, you know, I've read things and I'm just like, I have no idea how that's true or how that applies to my life. You read it and it seems anything but fresh. So how do we get fresh bread? And I'm going to give you a few uh, quick things that you can do that are real simple. Number one, read the Bible daily. Read the Bible daily. It's, it's not a big ask. Um, you can read a bunch. You can read a little bit. But just reading it each and every single day. You might say, well, Nathan, what's the best translation to read? And I would say the one that you read is the best translation to read. Like, there are so many. There's so many. There's lots of great ones. I could steer you away from a few. But honestly, if you just read the Bible, 
I don't care what version, just read what God has said. And it begins to change you. And, and here's the thing you say, what, but I don't understand so much of it. I read it and it's like, I just, all this old stuff, I don't understand. I'm telling you, the more you read it, the more the dots begin to connect, the more the pieces start to come together. When I was a little kid, I used to walk in on my parents having a conversation. They were talking about parent things like, you know, government, taxes and politics. And they were talking about fixing an engine and a carburetor. And as a kid, I heard all these words and I heard them talking and I went, I don't know what you're talking about. But I just kept being around it. And eventually you go, oh, that's that. And that connects to that. And, and now I can understand like 80 and 90% of what my parents are talking about. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm still working on it. But like you... The more you're around it, the more your vocabulary increases, the more you begin to understand how some of these things that you read. I always love it when people, you know, in the media or people, famous authors, they'll pull one verse out of the Old Testament like, this is the reason why the Bible's bad. And it's always out of context. And it's never in, it's never in context of the story and what it means and why it was written and what it means now. Like, it's just, it's so simple. It's like, oh, I read that. That seems untrue. But when you read it daily, when you study it, it begins to makes sense. It begins to, to come alive. Is that making sense? Um, just, like, just like we need bread, food every day to sustain our bodies, right? Or we get hungry. We need God's word. We need it. We need to put it in our minds and in our hearts. I think there are too many Christians walking around malnourished. Because we come to church and it's like, oh, that was such an encouraging message, pastor. Don't open a Bible. Don't pray all week long. And you wonder, like, where is God? Well, I'll tell you, Read the Bible every single day. Here's the second thing. Spend time in the right environments. Be in the right environments. There's something about being in the right place. Have you noticed this? If you want to get in shape, put on some sweatpants and some running shoes and just go down and hang out at the local gym. Just sit and watch everybody else work out. And if you're in that environment, I guarantee you'll be like, I could do that. Like if you're just around it, you'll begin to have an appetite for it. If you watch your favorite sport, you'll want to go and play your favorite sport, right? If you're around food, I thought this morning of having four bread makers behind the curtains cooking fresh bread. And I thought, wouldn't that be so cool? Everyone would be like, wow, I can smell what he's preaching about. This is amazing, right? It's like interactive sermon, but then nobody would be paying attention. Everyone's stomachs would be growling. They'd all be thinking about Swiss chalet or whatever. So I didn't do that. But like, it's amazing when you just smell the bread, the juices start flowing, your stomach, everything just kicks in. And the same is true. Sometimes you don't feel like getting up and coming to church. Sometimes I don't feel like coming to church and I'm the pastor. So I know it's true for you guys. But when you show up and you stand there and you hear the words and people are singing around you, it stirs an appetite in your heart to love God more. It just does. And I'm going to preach a sermon today. Maybe you get nothing out of this sermon Maybe you come for five weeks in a row and nothing happens. You get nothing out of it. You're just like, I was there. It was okay. Blah, blah, blah. But there, I guarantee you, if you stick around long enough, there will be a Sunday when I will say something and it won't be me. It'll be the spirit of God that just lights something inside your heart. Someone will walk up to you after church and and pray for you or ask you a question and it will stir something. Some song that they sing and you'll just start crying because you sense the presence of God. You just have to be in the right environments. You get in a small group and you study this thing together, right? You connect with people. If you get in the right environments, it will stir a hunger for God and for his word. So I just encourage you, just do it. It's so simple. Open it every day. Some days you won't get anything. There's a lot of days I read and I'm reading through what I'm supposed to read for the day. And I'm like, okay, that was good. And then like yesterday morning, I was sitting on my deck and I was reading the end of Nehemiah. Right, which is which is a book about leadership. It's about a guy who's helping to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But as I'm reading the final chapter, 
God was like, there's something for you to work on, Nathan. Out of nowhere. So you just do it. You do it each and every day. And you read and you open up his word. And God will speak. Because his word is alive. And that's the cool thing about this book is different than any other book. There are other books I've read two or three times. and like, yeah, I got it. But this one, it just keeps getting me. And God just keeps bringing new things to the surface. So I want to encourage you to read. Last one, super simple. Create rhythms and habits, which is really connected to the first two. It's amazing if you eat lunch every day at noon. And then you're sitting at your desk working and it's 1245 and your stomach's like, ah, ah, because your body knows it's, it's, it's habitual. Your body's like, it's time. And imagine what it would be like if the church, if God's people were so hungry for his word that if you missed opening this thing up and if you missed talking to him and getting your daily bread, you would feel it. You'd be like, I need that. And by being consistent and by being faithful and creating habits, we can have that. It's awesome. So here's my challenge as I close. Read this book. It'll change your life. (laughs) Just read it. It won't change your life every time you read it. But as you accumulate the word of God in your heart and in your mind, it will change you. It will change things. I love this. Paul writes to Timothy with this encouragement. And this is a great place to end. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, there are some verses in the Bible, especially you go back to the Old Testament law. There's some stuff in there. And you're like, really? We're supposed to kill those people? In context, you need to understand the context. And you may not. So just read it. Read it. And as you continue to learn and grow, you will begin to understand how it connects and how it's symbolic and represents all of that stuff. But all scripture is breathed out by God. We don't want to throw it out because we can't figure it out. We want to understand it. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. It's good for us. So I want to encourage you not to settle for leftovers. (laughs) It's easy to It's easy for us to live our Christian lives based on something God showed us five years ago. We want fresh bread, not stale bread. God will show us things. He'll reveal himself to us through his word when we open it each and every single day. So if you would join me, I'm going to pray uh, with you, and then we'll turn it back over to Todd with a few announcements. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which is so rich. How would we know you if we didn't have your word? How would we know that you died for our sins and that we can be made right with you and be in heaven with you one day without your word? And so, Lord, uh, we acknowledge that so often we carry on in the busyness of our life, eating food, dressing ourselves, caring for our homes and families, and we neglect to feed our souls with your word. So, Father, I pray that we would see and understand our need for you. You are our provision. You are the presence of God, and your word uh, needs to live inside of our hearts. Thank you for this message and for this day. Help us to uh, take your word this week and to read it and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.